Welcome to the Tactical Security Podcast. Welcome to Tactical Security, where we argue cybersecurity practices from a technical and a managerial standpoint. Here's what you need to know about today's security tactics. This is episode four. During this episode, we will be discussing risk management and why Wolf thinks it sucks. <laughs> Spoiler alert, I do. Uh, I'm Wolf, and I'm an advisory CISO. I'm Dave. I work in cybersecurity professionally, but you may know of my work with Hack the Kids. So we'll, we'll get into why I think risk management sucks, but let's, let's lay it out here, right? In cybersecurity, in information security, in any realm of security that you go into, we are effectively managing risk. I think that's, that's a given. And we as an industry have shifted towards using risk as, as the benchmark, right? We're going to do X tactic to reduce risk. We're going to patch something to reduce risk. We're going to install MFA to reduce risk. We're going to upgrade our switches to reduce risk. We're gonna upgrade our storage to reduce risk. We're gonna move to the cloud to reduce risk. And I worry, Dave, that at some point in time, because we just say risk, 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 it, it, loses, it loses all meaning. So for, for our audience, uh, could you like give an overview of, in, in your day-to-day, how, how does risk play out? Well, in my day-to-day, I'm not the one so much assuming the risk as the one trying to help customers mitigate the risk or avoid the risk. And, and I'm going to begin with anyone who's listening that's breaking into security or kind of got their feet wet with security, or even if you're up to your neck in security, there's no 100% risk protection guarantee. Well, if you're up to your neck, you probably know that. But the important thing to first for people to understand is you're reducing risk to the smallest factor, and, and that factor is never gonna be zero. Um, first, you need to accept that. Um, and then what I do in my day-to-day is I'm helping customers do exactly what you just described, trying to implement MFA, trying to put an IPS on a firewall, and hey, while you're at it, let's throw in some malware scanning and URL scanning, or Let's, let's look at the east-west traffic because you're blocking north-south, but if they already got a foothold and they're going laterally and you don't see that, well, <laughs> your risk just went up. Or if you got DNS filtering and yet they're still going out to some DNS server in another country, well, you're not doing egress filtering um, for DNS, so they're able to do whatever they want. You need to you know plug that hole as well. And that's kind of what I do today today, but I think the most important message is whenever I'm speaking with any of our customers is that all of these different layers of protection, if you haven't heard me say it before, I'm always going to be talking about layers of protection. It's like casting many nets and the more nets you can cast, the holes that are overlapping, they start to get smaller and the smaller the holes, it's harder for the big fish to get through. Um, It's harder for the little fish to escape. And you can catch more of these fish, which are threats. So that's kind of really it. And every threat is, you know, another piece of that risk equation. So is that what you're looking for, my friend? I'll go with that. So just just to summarize, if you if you give a man a, a risk, he'll get breached for a day. But if you teach a man to risk management, he'll be eating fish for a lifetime. No, he'll I have think, breaches for a lifetime. I think I botched that somehow. That's okay. I'm gonna keep that going. <laughs> that is staying in. <laughs> well, and and so yes, I, fundamentally we're trying to reduce risk, and I, I liked the the examples you gave, right? Because it does get to one of the concerns that I have about risk management. 
And, and let me step all the way back, right? I, I've, I've talked a lot about risk. I built a program about risk. You can, you can see a million and one different blog articles and, uh, and videos that I've done on risk. So I'm not, uh, I'm not anti-risk, but I think it's important to realize how we got here. And how we got here was 20 years ago, we would say, you need to put in place a firewall. You need to put in place DNS. And these are like early controls, right? We're not even talking about egress filtering yet. We're just saying maybe a firewall would be a good idea. And the business would glaze over because we're, we're too technical. You know, we weren't talking about what managed the business. And so as an industry, we're like, man, how, how are we going to talk to the business? And we're like, I know, I know. What are the business talking about? And they're always talking about risk and return on investment and, and things. So we're like, aha, aha. If we talk about risk, we shall too be able to get a seat at the table and get that firewall in place. So we adopt as an industry risk management. However, in doing so, being the technical folks we are, we're like, wait a minute, this is really sloppy. We need to, we need to clean up risk management. We need to, we need to put some, you know, logic behind it. We need to up it, right? So we need to, we need to follow something like uh, Octave, which is operationally critical threat analysis and or asset and vulnerability uh, evaluation. Or, or wait a minute, let's use a FAIR program, which is factor analysis of information risk. And let's put some math behind it. And let's really make sure that, you know, we can test and validate our assumptions. And then we go back to the business already, right? We're, we're, we're going to talk risk. We've got it. We've got the answer of how to talk to the business. And we're like, our actuary tables demonstrate that we have a 3.5 increase in risk for not having a, and again, <laughs> the business eyes glaze over because we're so far in the weeds now of risk that we've effectively moved our problem over, right? We, we've never solved the communication problem, the human problem that we were hoping to solve with risk management in the first place. So you're basically saying in order for us to buy the toys we want, we had to learn how to speak the language of business. And what we did is we actually made it too technical and, and they still don't listen to us. Bingo. That's, that's my concern. <laughs> well, that fail is on us. You know, for the folks listening to my background's in accounting, so I can speak the language of business and technical, and I know exactly when not to overcross that line. And anyone, anyone who wants to get to a senior level in technology really needs to understand accounting or finance fundamentals and, and how to speak that language properly. Because I think you you made, like, you really... Um, accentuated a very important point there, Walt, is that while we're trying to get closer to the, the people signing the checks, at the same time, we've distanced ourselves because now we just look like we're, we're imposters trying to be like them and talk like them, but only really confuse them more. Well, or we heard people talk about risk and didn't realize that they were using it informally. Mm. And rather than focusing on the psychology of the listener and of, of business and corporate culture, we went, aha, risk is what we need. Let's make it really technical <laughs> and, and really, really arcane. Because to be fair, Octave and Fair are, are really strongly typed, strongly defined approaches to risk management. And you can, you can run them and get insights and data and everything else. Problem is that translation layer. Well, that's not in the ISO model. <laughs> um, that's, that's layer eight uh the human layer uh the old joke all right so maybe we can evolve this conversation a little further and talk about things like risk appetite and risk tolerance okay 
Sure. And, and why I think that's good because the, the thing about risk appetite, it, it's kind of not like going to a buffet and just saying, all right, I might not eat that shrimp because it looks bad. That's a different kind of risk appetite. Um, it's a, it's a fairly simple concept, but the biggest problem that a lot of people have with risk appetite is really kind of understanding um, how to put it into practice, right? You could say, okay, my risk appetite is we're going to accept that passwords will be fished and we're going to accept that we'll have, you know, of our 1000 employees, maybe 10 passwords would be fished. And, and with those 10 people, our, our way to kind of help mitigate and reduce that risk is we're going to get them trained. And, but how do we know who those 10 people are? Well, let's just send a fake phishing attack and see who clicks the link. Oh crap. 87 people click the link, not 10. All right. So we just give them the same training, right? It doesn't matter. It's just click a link, watch a video, answer some questions and, and they're good, right? No, because now, you know, the same 87 people are, are still clicking the link and, and it doesn't matter. So that kind of risk appetite, right? It, it's just really, I think where people struggle is getting the right tools. And, and those tools are there to help, you know, get the metrics, whether it's a click or whether it's something else, right? You know, it's now it's all called tailgating, but I used to, you know, I remember back in the day we called it piggybacking where, you know, somebody types in the code or gets the retina scan or uses their handprint. I actually worked at a company that did a code and a handprint, which, I thought it was pretty cool to get into the secure areas and uh, they wanted to be polite and they just held the door open. Even in New York, they wanted to be polite and they held the door open <laughs> and they let the people in, they tailgated in and that, that person behind them could have been a threat and that's introducing risk. So it's just a matter of the tools, whether they're physical or digital, it really doesn't matter. And, and the tools are really only as good as the way they're being implemented. So if there was even a sign up on the wall that said, Every employee is required to scan in. Uh, do not hold the door open. There's a camera. I think more people would have been like, all right, well, I'm going to close the door now. Go enter your code. Uh, <laughs> and and the, reduce, the, the, the risk would have been reduced tremendously. I mean, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. Yeah, I think, uh, I think that's a really good example of using risk appetite well to define something internal. But again, from a CISO perspective, it falls apart when you go outside. So uh, I've, I've done plenty of assessments. I've tried to determine risk appetite. And the conversation usually works something like this. Like you ask the CFO, hey, what's your risk appetite? And they'll be like 1.37 million factoring in an EBITDA uh, before the quarter end. But that can change with the run rate of and your eyes glaze over. But at least you get a dollar value. <laughs> you ask the CIO and they're like, my risk appetite is low. We need to keep the lights on. We cannot have an outage. I've got SLAs to meet. Do you not know that we're a Six Sigma shop? Right. right. So qualitative, from, well, qualitative versus quantitative, right? Correct. And then you, you ask like the CEO and the CEO's like, hi, we're, we're, here to, we're, we're here to take chances. We're here to make big bets. And we're here to take risks. And then you ask the CISO. You know what the CISO's risk appetite is, by the way? I have no idea. Bourbon. It's bourbon. <laughs> I should have guessed that one. <laughs> <laughs> That's our risk appetite right there. Yep. The, the issue is trying to get everyone on the same page. And the issue is, too, that metrics don't capture things. So as you were telling me about your fishing story, I, I remembered one that uh, I was involved with. I was leading an assessment. And while we were there, we did um, a fishing test as part of it. 
and the phishing test was like, oh, it's an HR survey, please log in, give us your information. And the phishing test was so well crafted that the CEO who was putting together his like state of the company email saw that, vaguely remembered, didn't the HR team say they were collecting some data to improve? Vaguely remembered that the HR team was doing something and included the phishing email in his company-wide email and directed everyone, hey, this is really important. We really care about people. This demonstrates our care about people. Please com complete this survey. <laughs> and our, our phishing percentages was like 95%. <laughs> and so- Yeah, that's a good one. Well, how do, you, how do you quantify that with risk appetite though? Eliminate that one. It's an anomaly. <laughs> <laughs> Just take the lows and the highs, cut them out, focus on the middle. That that so risk management begins with risk appetite. The problem with risk appetite is you're gonna get quantitative, qualitative, it's gonna change by person, it's gonna change by time. And even when you get it absolutely right, when a risk occurs, not all risks are are measured equally. So the difference between a normal phishing test and a phishing test that tricks the CEO um, is a significantly larger difference in risk but a, a minuscule difference in the work it takes to protect and the work it takes to exploit. Yeah, I could see, I could, I agree with that. But kind of going back to the tools really quick, I, I think part of the problem is there are some folks that really don't budget properly for some of these tools, like phishing tools, I think is kind of an easy one these days. But overall, like, you know, phishing is not the only threat in the environment. We talked about some physical and there's definitely a lot of cyber. But what, But how do they calculate these how do they measure them you know you mentioned abita well you know that that's financial right that's not infosec that's not cyber so you know unfortunately without some of these tools these folks are using spreadsheets and you know doing that via spreadsheet it's too cumbersome there's too much too much time is spent to collect the data and then you got to ask yourself am i looking at everything correctly did i forget something did i include too much am i using the right multipliers you know and then if you're just collecting metrics based on different assessments you've done internally, that's good, that helped, but are you also assessing all the right things? Like there's all these questions and all these things that come up and all these problems. So there was, um, I did, you know, did a little preparation for this podcast. So back in 2013, uh, an individual named Josh Sokol gave a talk at B-Sides Las Vegas and, and talked about risk management and risk appetite and these things and, and the tools. And created a tool called Simple Risk. So you just go to www.simplerisk.com. No, they're not a sponsor. No, we're not getting anything on the side for this. It was just something I found. And that's part of this podcast is to help you guys get some of the right tools. I think he even has like uh, a demo version or something, but it looked really interesting to help kind of put the framework and define the parameters around risk management. I'm not going to spend too much time or not really any more time than this on the tool but I wanted to give you guys something to do that's actionable based on what Wolf and I are talking about that might be able to help you. And, and we really like to hear from you. So please, you know, if there's any comments or anything that you want to make, then, you know, just hit us up and let us know your thoughts on this tool. Yeah. So the, the tooling component is critical. And I think the, the application of risk management towards prioritization is critical. Um, there's another white paper too I point people to that uh, is one of my favorites. And this comes out of the world of FAIR again, which is Factor Analysis of Risk Information. 
Um, but uh, Google a minimum viable information risk management program. A good friend of mine, uh, Rachel Lingener, wrote that, and it's it's got some excellent takeaways for running risk management uh, lightly and for for um, prioritizing based on risk. So I think there there is goodness in using these ideas within your program. Where I get frustrated is when we leave your program, I believe. Well, even, yeah, I mean, if you're talking about leaving and, and temporarily temporarily leaving and coming back, but there's a lot of abandonment. And, and, that, and then there's like, you know, recreation or, oh, it's, the frameworks are new and they've changed. We need to redo this all over again. So I, I think it might be a good segue into risk tolerance, right? And what risk tolerance is, um, I just want to warn anyone, if you just go and Google risk tolerance, what you're going to see is a lot of financial information. So you need to be very specific and, and put the word security in there. Um, I kind of liken risk tolerance a little bit to like pain tolerance. You know, how, how are you sitting in that dentist chair? Are you calm and cool as a cucumber? Are you squirming? Are you gripping the hand, the hand rest until your knuckles are white? <laughs> I, that would be me. Um, <laughs> I could take the pain. I just don't like it coming. Um, but that, that kind of like, I think is a really good, you know, kind of visual example of um, how a lot of people kind of view tolerance, right? And it is, there is, there is that pain analogy, but really kind of giving it to you from like the Google definition, risk tolerance is defined as the level of risk or degree of uncertainty that is acceptable to organizations and is a key element of the organizational risk frame. And Wolf, I have to say, after reading that, I can understand why you think risk management sucks. <laughs> yes, please, please explain that to uh, your C-level peer when you're trying to get something uh, communicated and across. The, the other thing, too, with risk tolerance, yeah, take, take that quote and uh, use that the next time you're trying to sell across to IT or to the app team or to the finance team why we need to do something. The, the idea with risk tolerance as well is the, the tolerance component. Uh, because to, to take your dentist example, yeah, if you're going to the dentist chair once every you know, couple of years and they're drilling on you, man, you're going to have lots of stress. There's going to be lots of uh, anxiety there. You're going to want to bolt. Uh, you know it's coming, so it's going to hurt. Um, if you compare that to going and sitting in that same chair every six months for a cleanup, maybe not a problem. If you compare that to sitting in a similar chair that's on the dentist's office, not a problem at all. Uh, the the idea of tolerance is we build up a tolerance. And what that means is if you're demonstrating risk and you show it the first time, you may get some action. If you show the same numbers, like we've got 10,000 vulnerabilities. First time you see that, people are like, oh, fix that right away. Oh, my God, how everything's on fire. Uh, two months later, we're saying you got 10,000 vulnerabilities and they're not going to care. Six months later, and they're going to be like, why do you keep telling me about this? <laughs> and, <laughs> and then nine months later, when you get breached because those vulnerabilities haven't been patched, you can't go, well, look, we have a risk management program and we informed you of the risk. Can't you see that because of your risk tolerance and uh, your lack of follow-up, we've been compromised? No, they're going to be like, what happened? Why did you not stop this? Why did you not tell us about it? Ah! And, uh, and suddenly the security team is in hot water for not protecting the organization. So tolerance part of risk tolerance is very intriguing because that tolerance can go up and down by framing. It can go up and down by what's going on in the purpose of personal life. Uh, it can go up and down by daylight savings time. There was 
a study I was looking at recently that showed risk tolerance jumps when you uh, have uh, more sleep and greatly decreases when you have less sleep. And that translates into a number of different behaviors that can be, you know, statistically tracked on daylight savings. So all that's to say is understanding what your tolerance point is, is important from a technical perspective. Yes, I'm going to allow 1% of my emails to be fishes. I'm going to allow X number of my uh, boxes to have vulnerabilities. It's a very risky land to stand on when you're trying to get people to take phishing on security awareness, when you're trying to get people to patch things. I think that's a really good point. You don't, you don't want to sit there and just be overwhelmed about the risk and get yourself to a point where you're overstressing about the risk. You have to accept some of that. Um, there's going to be some phishing emails that come in. There's going to be some endpoints that get infected. You're going to have supply chain issues with your updates and you know state actors are going to find their way into your network. It's going to happen. And by the way, it did. Um, you know, but you need to be prepared, right? And that preparation can come in any form that really kind of works for your organization, works for your team, works for your culture. And I would say like that preparation is key. Prepare, you know, if you want to call it a playbook, prepare a run book, prepare a freaking cookbook, do whatever you want to call it. You need this book and you need to practice it. All right. You can't wait for that zombie apocalypse to happen. And then you go want to like, oh, we need to go read the book. The zombies are coming. What are we going to do? Am I going to grab a shotgun or am I going to grab a tire iron? You know, well, well, I don't know what to do. I don't have the book, you know, and you got to have these quarterly drills. And some people might argue annuals enough or semi-annual, I think quarterly. And, and because there's turnover, there's attrition, but it also keeps the book handy. You don't want to wait for the zombies to show up at your door and someone's like, um, I know we got a book on this. Anybody see it? Where's the book? Um, I don't know. I, I, I think we lost the book and the last time the backups failed. Sorry. No, you, you, you need to have this and it needs to be a part of your, your fiber. It needs to be your instinctual, like, okay, this is happening. This is what we do. It needs to be a part of the team and everyone needs to know their role and practice it. This is the only way you're going to be numbing that pain level of risk tolerance and then get your organization where it needs to be. Love it. And that, that really brings up a good point, right? Why do we do risk management? If you're doing risk management to do risk management, it sucks. Stop. <laughs> if, you're, if you're doing risk management to identify specific scenarios, plan for those scenarios, then you're in a good spot. Uh, and I, I think we both agree on, on the benefit of planning. So just to, to summarize, um, use risk management where it makes sense. It, it makes sense to prioritize it. It makes sense to uh, contextualize information. Uh, it does not make sense to communicate to the business <laughs> and and that can backfire. It does not make sense to think that if we change from talking about a tech to a risk that we're automatically going to solve things. And it does not make sense if you call everything risk management and water the term down. Um, use tools. Dave mentioned uh, simple risk. There's there's others out there, but that's a good starting point. Um, use processes. I mentioned the minimum viable risk management framework, um, which I, I really like in terms of keeping things clean and keeping risk management focused on where it makes sense. Uh, and uh, and Dave, I think your your closing point was 
really well said, have an action plan. What are you, what are you gonna do when these risk scenarios occur? Have that planned out and, uh, and practice it. So I will, I'll just say, and, and I think that was fantastic, thank you. Um, but I'll just say that even though you think, Wolf, that risk management sucks, I'm gonna say it doesn't have to, but it does. Uh, <laughs> so in closing, folks, this has been Tactical Security with Wolf and Dave. Join us for future episodes where we will dig into tactical tools and practices. Stay healthy, everyone. Question truth and be better.